May not be as long as I thought, but someone's going to say amen to that, right? <laughs> soccer has one main rule, okay? Any soccer fans in here? Go ahead, show hands. All right, a couple of you, good. Soccer was my first love, if I can say it like that. I think I was like in third grade, you know, playground ball. I loved it. And it's got one main rule. Somebody go ahead and shout that main rule out. No hands. no hands. Thank you. I was hoping somebody would say that and they wouldn't say somebody else because that's the whole point. <laughs> no hands. No hands. As my dad dropped me off in third grade for my very first official soccer practice with an official team, not playground soccer anymore, but I remember right by the, the elementary school, he looked at me and he said, James, no matter what happens, don't use your hands. Got it, Dad. Oh, man, I loved it. Went out, had practice. We were running around, tearing around. I didn't know anything else. Uh, so I wasn't using my hands. So when the ball got kicked out of bounds, coach says to me, James, throw the ball back in. <laughs> I picked it up, and I threw it. Soccer fans in here are going to be like, he can't do that. Coach goes and gets the ball, starts laughing, brings it back, and says, no, seriously, James, throw the ball back in. It's, all I could hear was my dad saying, no hands. That's the one rule. No hands. How am I going to throw it back in? I didn't know there was subtler rules also, like when you throw it in, you have to have the ball with two hands, plant both feet, go over your head. I didn't know that. I just knew that I couldn't use my hands. Sometimes I wonder if we make our faith too confusing with all these other different rules. And if there's just one main thing, one main focus, one main rule, I don't like the word rule, but one main thing that needs to be our focus. You know, soccer, running around, if you don't use your hands, you're going to be fairly safe. If you're watching somebody out in the playground or out on TV and they pick the ball up and run with it, they're not playing soccer. They're playing rugby. All right? Could it be the same with Christianity, with our faith? Is there one main thing that needs to be our focus? And yes, there's going to be other bits of guidelines and structure and rules, but it's that one main thing that drives us. Could that be the case? I think that John says yes. I want to pray more shortly than we did earlier. <laughs> and then we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. Lord, thank you that we get to open your scripture. I pray that you would give me the words to say this morning, uh, throw those out that you don't want me to say, and uh, keep those there that you do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, one main thing. Say that with me. One main thing. That's what I think John is getting at. Soccer has one main thing. Don't use your hands. I think John would say in our faith there's one main thing. I want to read this passage in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, verses 1 to 6. We've been in this series looking at the letters of John for quite some time now. We're getting closer to the end of it. So chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I want you to listen. You tell me if you can think of that one main thing that John's trying to get at here. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, Dear friends, do not believe every, everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world, this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. 
Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is already here. John has already written about that. Verse 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people, because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people who belong to this world, so the, the, those people, excuse me, those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. We belong to God, and those who know God will listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. One main thing. Did you catch it? <laughs> oh, it's just like last week. There's so much in here. Two things kind of rose to the top that I think are the main things that take away from the main thing. So the first is uh, false prophets. Second is spirits. Both are mentioned several times in here. All right, false prophets. In a sentence or an idea or less, Frank, ooh, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is a false prophet? What's a false teacher? Uh, according to John, someone who doesn't accept Jesus came in the body. Okay, someone who doesn't accept Jesus came in the body. Good, that's according to John. Could we simplify it even more? Then I'm coming back to that one. Way to steal my thunder. <laughs> I shouldn't have put a doctor on the spot. He's supposed to be... Of course he's going to take my main point. <laughs> false prophet. How would I simplify it? What would you say? Someone who doesn't teach the truth. Someone who points us away from God. Okay? Which does tie back to what you're saying. I'm going to get back there. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. False prophets had been around for a long time. They're still here if you didn't know that. Okay? But they'd been around for a long time when John had been talking. In fact, if you rewind about 800 years in the book of Deuteronomy, God was speaking to his people about false prophets that were there. And he said this in Deuteronomy chapter 13. He said, suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles occur. Catch that? They're seeing signs, they're dreaming dreams, they're prophesying and these things are happening. If they then say, come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. The Lord is testing you to see if you truly love him. Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands. Listen to his voice. The false prophets or visionaries who try to lead you astray must be put to death. For they encourage rebellion against the Lord who redeemed you. Now, just in case he didn't make his point clear. In that same sentence, he says, since they try to lead you astray from the Lord your God, who commanded you to live for him, you must, be, you must put them to death. How is it that after 800 years, all the false prophets hadn't been taken care of? Let's go back into that. The beginning part of that, it said, if there are people who dream dreams, who see visions, who predict things, and they happen, I'll be candid with you. I was thinking about this this morning. If there was a person who was making predictions and it was happening, and if there was a person who was doing signs and, and you know, miracles were taking place and healings were taking place, if there was someone who was prophesying and those prophesies were, were coming true, I'd probably follow them. If it was happening today, I, I would hope I wouldn't, right? But let's be honest, we're human. Wow. That person said the Zags were going to get whooped last night. <laughs> oh, I may not follow that person. Okay? 
But seriously, like, I'm thinking just in my human side, if somebody was saying things that were taking place that, that they were predicting and it was happening, there's a good chance I'd at least listen closer to them. And I would hope that if they said, go a different direction than God has called you to, that I would, that I would like, whoa, 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 what's going on? I would hope that, but sometimes it's not easy to tell. Sometimes it's not easy to tell who's a false prophet and, and who's not. So 800 years later, after Deuteronomy, we get John who says, okay, don't believe every, everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. You read that in the King James, it is an amazing, beautifully written verse, and you don't understand any of it. You read it in the message, and this is what it says. I think I have it in the message. Maybe I don't. I don't. It's really cool. Go home and Google <laughs> 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, the message, and it's just it says something along the lines of, don't believe everything everybody says, because some people are going to talk for God and some people won't. So test it out. That's essentially what it says. False prophets, they've been around for a long time, and they're people who try and take us away from God. In the earliest book of church order that we have, it was written in A.D. 100, so right around when John was writing this, the Didache is what it was called. In sentence number 11 and sentence number 12, because there was only like 30 sentences in this book, it's my kind of book, sentence number 11 says, not everyone who speaks in a spirit is a prophet. He is only a prophet if he walks in the ways of the Lord. So we've got false prophets, and we've also got this focus on spirit in here, which is, uh, well, let's, let's put it into co uh, context and culture. In that context, in that culture, from about A.D. 50 to about A.D. 100, there was a lot of miracles that was taking place. There was a lot of people that were full of spirit and full of the spirit. There was a lot of uh, uh, fantastic, fanatical, amazing stuff that was taking place. Some of it was from God and some of it wasn't. And that's part of why John says in verse 4, you belong to God, dear children. You've won the victory over those people. The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. There was a guy in the third century named Montanus. He came and he claimed that he was God's spirit in human form. And he said, I've got a message from Christ, a message that Christ didn't think his disciples could handle giving the world, but he's given it to me to give to you. Warning, warning, <laughs> right? I would hope we would have those same bells that go on. But I love what modern day theologian, Anglican Bishop N.T. Wright says. He says, the problem with false prophets is that you can't tell them apart from the true ones at first sight. They seem devout. They seem reasonable. They claim to have a word from God. So who are we to disagree? All right, I'm, I'm getting back to this passage about what's the main thing. The main thing in our, in our faith, is it looking for false prophets? Is it looking for manifestations of the Spirit? Or is it something else? I think John would say it's something else. I think he would say the focus has to be on Jesus. As a believer, as a Christian, the focus has to be on Jesus. That's step number one. And as John says it, there's, in this passage, his focus is there's a very specific element of Jesus. And that is that he, Dr. Frank, came in the flesh. He claimed, came in the flesh. Verse 2, this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person's claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone 
claims a prophet and does not acknowledge this truth, they're not a prophet of God. Okay, so the main point in our Christian faith is Christ. And I joke around about it being always the correct answer. You know, what's, that, what's the answer? Jesus. It's because it is. Okay? So just like in soccer where there's those other rules where two feet planted, head over the, you know, throw the ball in like this, there are other guidelines in our Christian faith, but it all goes back to Jesus. And, Paul, and John says you have to recognize that Jesus was real flesh and blood. He was a real person because if you don't, you're a false prophet. You're a heretic. Now, most scholars believe that John is making this emphasis because there was this thing called Gnosticism going on in AD 100. You know, anybody know what Gnosticism was? I'm not going to ask Frank because you'll know what it is and you'll tell everybody and then I can't tell them. Gnosticism was a belief system that everything spiritual was from the spirit. Makes sense. Okay? And that all things material, all things earthy, all things tangible, all things touchable were evil. All things matter were evil. Therefore, they said, Jesus, who they claimed was Messiah, couldn't be human. Because that means he would have had to wash his hands. He would have had to go to the bathroom. N.T. Wright says that, not me. It's in red, so it's a quote. Okay? He would have died, which, if Jesus was truly Messiah, they said, he wouldn't have died because he was fully spirit, not at all human. So John's making this point to combat them. And these guys were making it sound really, really good. When you start talking about spirit-filled, all of a sudden Christians are like, oh, that's Jesus-filled. Well, sometimes yes, but sometimes not. So John's telling the people, don't get confused. The way you tell if someone's a, a, a real prophet is if they are recognizing Jesus, and if they're recognizing Jesus as fully human. John, who we believe wrote these, I've said it countless times already, is one of Jesus' best friends. Anytime Jesus had something cool to do, he'd take Peter, James, and John, and they'd go, you know, they'd go do these things. But John, and I've said this before, John laid his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. John walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, laughed with Jesus, cried with Jesus, Slept on the same tent with Jesus. Swam in the Jordan River with Jesus. John might have walked behind Jesus after Jesus had walked for 30 miles and thought, Jesus, you need to take a shower. <laughs> John experienced the full humanity of Jesus. For, so for someone to say, oh, Jesus was just spirit, John's like, whoa, uh-uh. Jesus was, John only knew Jesus as fully human until the whole cross and resurrection thing. When John writes his gospel, his life story of Jesus, which, by the way, it's a phenomenal gospel. If you haven't read it yet, do so sooner than later. John makes no doubt that Jesus was divine. The beginning of John's gospel says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So the Word was God. We believe Jesus was the Word, the Word, God, Word, God, okay, divine. Jesus was divine. But 14 verses later... John says, and the word became human and made his dwelling amongst us. The word became human. In the Greek, that word means flesh. Want to know what the word flesh means in the Greek? 
Go like this, okay? I'm not, I'm not kidding. Go ahead. No, go like this. Okay? The technical definition of flesh in the Greek is the soft substance of living body which covers the bones and is permeated with blood. John says Jesus became this. God became this. I love it. In the message translation, which apparently I don't have up there, but luckily I know this one, or I do have it up there this time. Sweet. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> flesh and blood. In the hood. <laughs> Another favorite commentary of mine. Commentator says, nothing in Christianity is more central than the reality of the incarnation, the manhood of Jesus Christ. The late Dr. Martin Luther King was writing a, uh, an essay as he was in seminary, and he said, if there is any one thing of which modern Christians can be certain, it's that Jesus was a true human, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, in all points tempted as we are. For John, the main thing was Jesus, and one element of that was Jesus' full humanity. That's his one point in this passage. We could easily get distracted by false prophets and by spirits and those things we need to heed, but his main point is you've got to know that Jesus was fully human. And if John only needs to make one point, that's all I'll make too. That's one point. Jesus was fully human. So here's the question for us. Does that matter still today? Does that litmus test of fully human or not still matter for us today? Yes. yes, it absolutely does. I give you two reasons, and you could probably think of a whole lot of other reasons. These reasons are found in the book of Hebrews. The first is this. Jesus needed to be flesh and blood so that he could relate to us and we could relate to him. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. We also know that the son did not come to help, uh, 16, to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, verse 17. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. If Jesus were to say to you, hey, I'm so sorry you're going through this, but I just can't relate. I mean, that takes so much of that intimacy away. But see, he can relate. He does relate. Maybe he doesn't relate to our phone battery emptying sooner than, our, you know, than we wanted to, but the heart behind it, the wanting to be connected to our friends and family, Jesus knows these things. So the first reason it still matters that Jesus was fully human is that he can relate to us and we can relate to him. Second reason is this. Jesus had to become fully human to die for humans. We know this. He had to become fully human to die for humanity. Also back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to fear of dying. We needed Jesus to be fully human so that he could take away our death, our fear of death, our sin. Jesus is the ultimate focus of our faith. There are a lot of other components to it, but much like soccer, don't use your hands. We always need to come back to Jesus. 
And in today's text, John says, make sure you know Jesus was fully human. Hey, if you need a take-home point for this week, which I don't know if you do, but if you need one, try this. Listen to the voices that you hear, whether it's your friends, your family, your social media, your news. That's your take-home. Okay? These things matter. They matter. That's all I have to say. Tim, you know, come on up. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you that you were divine. I thank you that in the beginning you were God, you were with God, you were God. But just as much, I thank you that you walked the earth as human. Because you can relate to me, you can relate to us. In your humanity, you were able to save us in our humanity. Lord, there's times that I will leave a Sunday and think, I wonder if that really mattered. I think it does today. I think it does every Sunday, but I think it does today. Lord, help us relate to your humanity this week, whatever that looks like. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.